3617, respond to report of shots fired. The Coroner Talk podcast takes you behind the scenes with coroners, clinicians, and death investigators from around the world to provide training, news, and interviews from leading experts in the area of death investigation and scene management, bringing real stories and solid training together in one source. Now, here's your host, Darren Day. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Coroner Talk, the only podcast in iTunes dedicated to the men and women working the field of death investigation. Today, I want to welcome you along. Man, we're coming into fall. As this is released live, it's the first week of uh, November 2017, and there's a chill in the air here in the Midwest, and that means uh, for all of us who love fall, we've got hunting seasons coming up. We've got family time, such as Thanksgiving, and right around the corner is Christmas. I just really like fall, and I like everything that fall has about it. So, it's just a great time of the year for me, so I, I welcome you to fall, and I welcome you to the Corner Talk podcast. Today, we're going to talk about hoarding. Have you ever been into a house that you've had to figure out how to get the person out of the house who has died because the hoarding behavior is so bad you've had to go out windows, or maybe you're unsafe in being in there? Maybe it's an environmental problem. Uh, so today, we're going to talk to Dr. Michelle Dosher about a hoarding behavior. What is different from a hoarder uh, to a collector? And there is a difference, and we're going to to talk about those things. But of course, I want to remind you again that it is November, and the next session of the Medical Legal Death Investigation Online Academy starts in January. Okay, and so it is coming up fairly quickly. It's already November, so you've only got two months. The reason I bring that up is because, of course, we can now accept payments if you want to do that. And here's an idea. So if you register for the course, uh, you can just pay for it on your credit card, and then you can just pay yourself back from your tax return. See? Now you get more training. You get all your ABMDI credits. You get nationally recognized training with our name on the certificate that is recognized in many, many states as, as good authoritative training and will let your tax return pay for it. Just a thought of how we can help you out. Of course, there is a payment plan as well. Um, you know, here's the thing. It's all about training. We've got states that use this training for their basic training for investigators. To hire a new investigator, they sit down and take our online course, and then they have showed where the bathroom is. You know, they have 40 hours plus, all kinds of downloadable material, a three-ring binder, basically, if you print it all out, of materials, graphs, and things that you can use to do your job. So the Medical Legal Death Investigation Online Academy is there is nothing else like it. It's not a college class. You're not paying for a college. You're actually paying to learn how to be an investigator. I'm teaching you how to be an investigator, myself and the other instructors in the course. It's a great course. You go to coronerschool.com. Don't let that scare you. It's for police. It's for medical legal death investigators, medical examiners, all of that. But coronerschool.com. You can read everything about it and, and how you can become involved in that class. And if there's any other training that you need, you're, you're working on next year's uh, seminars, your conferences, anything that I can do or, or any of my instructors can do to help you, just reach out and let us know. Even if it's just you want a virtual training, we can even come on live um, virtually. We don't even have to be there. We'll just be on computer with you. All of that is available and we want to help you in every way we can. 
We know there's a lack of training. We know there's a lack of access to training. And I'm doing everything I can to close that gap. Training costs money. I can't help that. It costs money. Things have to be bought and paid for. But I try to save time and travel and, and virtual. Virtual is almost free. I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing almost to it. I mean, so I'm doing everything I can. All I ask you to do is tell me what you need. Tell me how I can help you when it comes to getting you and your investigators trained. And I promise you I will do everything I can to work within your limits and we'll make that happen because I believe in better training and standardization across the country. And if we can achieve that, we'll all bring our profession up to another level. So it's all about training for us. And that's what, uh, you know, that's what the podcast is. Here is training. So again, contact me over cornerschool.com or cornertalk.com. Either one of those you can find me and I can help you with your training through the Death Investigation Academy. All right, today we're going to, like I said, talk about hoarding. Uh, maybe they're collectors, but I'm bringing on Dr. Michelle Dosher, PhD. Now, she has over 25 years experience in, in all kinds of uh, various forms of, of investigative work. Okay, she she's a crime scene analysis. She's, she's a crime scene scientist. Uh, she, she deals with expert testimony, uh, crime scene investigations, research and development, handwriting, uh, interview, forensic interviewing, anything to do with the mind and the psychology of the mind and crime scenes and things like that, Dr. Michelle Dosher is an expert in. And, of course, her blog is mindsleuth.net. Really great, really great name, mindsleuth.net. And there you can see a lot of articles that she writes uh, concerning different types of, of mental behaviors and things like that when it comes to uh, crimes, crime scenes, uh, criminal behavior, uh, things like that. And so she does some other work with handwriting analysis and stuff like that as well. But today we're going to talk about uh hoarding behavior what causes someone to be a hoarder how can we recognize it what should we look for how do we protect ourselves and them so we're going to really dwell into the mind part of hoarding and then of course into the physical part of the hoarding as well and so without any further delay uh, let me get in that conversation with dr michelle dosher adjust your earbuds turn up those speakers and hang on it's now time for this week's featured conversation all right, I'm back, and as I introduced a little bit ago, I got Dr. Michelle Dosher on the phone with me, and today we're going to talk about hoarding, which I did introduce some, but Dr. Dosher, Dosher welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, I, I kind of introduced you some, and, I, and, and you've got a lot of background, and you, you, you deal in a lot of things forensically, and of course, i got to say I love your website, Mind Sleuth, because... That just says it all. You are a detective of the mind, I think, in all <laughs> things that you do. Well, I'd like to think so. So, but today, uh, I want to talk about hoarding, um, and, and I want to, you know, there's some specific cases that I kind of want to give examples to, and you can weigh into, but... But we deal with hoarding situations on our end from uh, police, law enforcement, and uh, death investigation. But let's start down at the basics. Um what what causes someone to be a hoarder? And, and I'm not necessarily talking about the fact that they like books and all of a sudden they got lots of books. I'm talking about the, the hoarding behavior that they, you can't even move around their house. What causes that type of behavior? And, and, and is it just a behavior or is it a psychological issue? Well, it actually is a disorder. 
Uh, it is defined as a disorder, and it is related to obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, as far as your question, you know, what causes a person to start hoarding? And I hate to sound this way, but there's so many things that we don't exactly know specifically what causes it. However, we do know that a person can experience some type of traumatic event in their life, extremely stressful, and it may just basically exacerbate that hoarding tendency. So to say is they might have already had some tendencies and then they go through a traumatic period in their life and then voila, all of a sudden they find themselves hoarding. Uh, unfortunately, most people don't immediately go to a doctor or a psychiatrist or psychologist and say, you know what, I think I've developed a problem. I like to buy stuff all the time. It's not really anything I need, um, but I just like to buy stuff and then I can't get rid of it. And, you know, my spouse has asked me, my children have asked me, but I just can't let go of it. People typically do not go in and say that. Um, it's not until perhaps in your case, you go into a residence and you look around going, oh my gosh, how did this person live like this? Um, and that's the thing that differentiates hoarders from collectors. A hoarder will keep collecting and collecting and they'll have things placed on tables, chairs, their beds, down hallways, upstairs. And, you know, one of the things that I know investigating crime scenes, I've walked in going, how did this person live? How did they function? How did they eat? Uh, the conditions eventually become extremely unsanitary. Um, it gets to the point that sometimes they can't even use their appliances. And, you know, we wonder, how does a person get like this? Well, it goes back to your original question. What possibly happened? Uh, is there something else? Yes, usually. For instance, they might have a major depressive disorder or anxiety, whether it be social anxiety or generalized anxiety. They spend a lot of time where? Inside their house. They don't go out. How do they stay connected? They purchase, they buy, things are delivered. You see, it's kind of like a cycle. It's almost like one thing just kind of leads to the next. Well, and that does make that make sense to me, but there are some examples that I have, you know, is is uh, my wife's grandmother. Now, she's passed away now, but my wife's grandmother, the upstairs of the house was immaculate, and, and that's an understatement. It was immaculate. But the basement was full, but if she would have bread bags full of bread ties, she had jars and cans and things, and, you know, she would have cl uh, strips of cloth and things. You know, she was a child of the Depression, and mm -hmm. and she knew that these things were valuable at some point, and 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 she. Now, I'm not going to say she didn't have some form of organization. She just had a lot of organization. You know, I mean, and and it took forever to clean that basement out. Now, that wasn't upstairs. Now, she lived very very nice, uh, but but I think that is a form of hoarding. Am I right in that they are they're they're looking at the oh my gosh, what if the depression happens again? I might need these things. Well, Dara, unfortunately, clinically, they would say no, because one of the specifiers that it doesn't meet is it was not impeding on her daily life. It was not in her active area of living. So it would not technically be considered a disorder that's affecting her biologically, psychologically, and socially. Okay, very good. So, and, that's, that's a very good teaching and, point. I would have thought that, and that, that's very interesting. 
Well, and the fact, too, that, like you said, she was organized in the sense of the way that she hoarded, okay? She had her twisty ties. She had her bags. Um, hoarders don't organize. They're very disorganized people. They, they really, they just can't get organized. Um, they're very indecisive. Um, they can't stick with something. They flip-flop around. But then here's the funny thing. They tend to be perfectionists. So, you know, try to wrap, try to wrap your head around that one. They're perfectionists. What are they, what are they perfecting? Well, they know in their set, in their minds, I've got to acquire more. I've got to, you know, whether it's for utility purposes, very rarely is it for aesthetic value or collecting value. It's usually utility. So that's kind of where the OCD comes in. And maybe that's where, you know, you were kind of connecting your mother-in-law with this was I know way back when, you know, these items would have come in handy. What if, what if I get in that situation again? Do I need these? Should I keep these? You know, um, I've also heard where people, they talk about a person just gets in their head that like, what if my identity, what if it goes away? What if, what if I no longer exist? Is somebody going to forget about me? And they will start keeping everything that has their name on it. I'm talking utility bills, um, magazines that have the labels, and they stack them everywhere. Very interesting. Now that, so a, a foster child, for instance, that might be hoarding food because, you know, they're in a good environment now, but they used to not be. So they're hoarding food. That's not really considered hoarding either. Right. If by that, that that's just right. a self-preservation type of a, of a thing, but we call it hoarding food, but that's not really the definition of hoarding we're talking about. No, exactly. So, right. so what no, creates, because- what creates the pile, the, the piles of, of unusable items? Uh, you know, literally household garbage. I mean, there's... Well, but that's not garbage to them, though. See, that's the thing. And in extreme instances where you have extreme hoarders, they collect some really bizarre things. Excrement, (laughs) nails. I mean, I'm talking fingernails, clippings, hair, okay, Uh, rotten food. Wow. They so, can't let go of it. So what would differentiate what would what would be the difference between a hoarder and a house where uh, and I'll just give you a real life example, a house where you know there's only two rooms that you could even pass through. Uh one of the rooms though is full of trash. Trash, trash bags, they just throw it in the room and, and they're just trash bags, just everything that they would throw away normally or burn. Uh, and then there's dogs all over the house, and of course there's feces and urine, and the floor is just sop and soaky, and they live in that. Now that's not necessarily hoarding; that's just a mental disorder to live in that type of filth, or or is it borderline? Well, there's also animal hoarders. So if you're talking about a house that you just mentioned, if there are a lot of animals in there. Um, if they're basically starving, they're not being taken care of, they're not being kept clean, and possibly you might have found dead animals. I've run across that before. Um, it doesn't matter if they're alive or dead. They can't let go. I mean, that's part of the hoarding. You know, it's a two-sided. One, we got to acquire. we got to have more. we got to get more of this. And two, you can't let it go. And that's the same thing with, you know, the food, the rotting food. 
But now, like you said, you walk into a house, okay, it's dirty, and there's just trash bags here and there, you know, thrown around, hasn't been cleaned up. Is that hoarding? Well, one of the factors would be, okay, are there chairs that you can sit in? Is there a bed the person can go to bed in? Um, Can they use their kitchen stove? If not, if there's piles of stuff in the chairs, on the stove, in the bed, then it has impeded into their active areas. Therefore, that's one of the specifiers that differentiates a hoarder and someone that's just not a good housekeeper. <laughs> yeah, an extremely poor housekeeper or or <laughs> or a hoarder. And so so that makes you know that makes good sense. But let's talk a little bit about some environmental dangers that both sides, but first let's talk about the, the victim in this case, or the homeowner. What type of environmental dangers have you seen that they will experience living in that type of environment? Um, for instance, falling downstairs. Uh, you might have an elderly person. And the reason I say elderly is because you can start hoarding at age, preteen ages, 10, 11, 12 years old. But what they have found is incrementally, Every decade of life, the hoarding gets extremely more intense um, to the point that that's typically why that's when people notice it is when, you know, someone has passed, they go into the home, they find them and they find the condition that they're living in. Well, this didn't just start overnight. Chances are it's been going on for 40, 50 plus years. Okay. So, yes, that's I've run across that before where an elderly person actually fell down some stairs because of the stairs. There was stuff piled all up and down the stairs. Hallways, you could barely go through there. Um, There's been people that died, quote, of natural causes, or so I was told, but they were elderly. They were in an environment living by themselves. But then, like we mentioned, too, you look in the kitchen. Um... (laughs) The refrigerator may or may not have been even running. Um, Open it up, you know, when there's mold and there's rotten food in there and just packed. You know, what were they living on? How were they living? Um, If there were animals in the house, typically, you know, more diseases, very, very unsanitary conditions. So, yeah, these all have a factor. So let me back up just for a minute, just not only for my clarification, but also for the listeners. You know, one of the things, if I understand you correctly, that, makes it a hoarding situation is when they it gets to the point that they don't have livable surfaces chairs tables things like that but and and may or may not have working refrigerators things like that um you know but if it's just an issue of i I mean i've been in a lot of houses where i would call it a hoarder but of course by your definition it it may not be because that's what i'm trying to uh, make sure our listeners understand because we go in the house oh that's a hoarder well no not really if there's livable spaces but you know i've seen houses where the refrigerator quits working and the well goes out and they're they don't even take the time to fix the well or try to fix the well or nothing and and of course you know, tissue paper, you know, toilet paper is piled up in the bathroom and a bathtub and, and they have no, they live out of a cooler. They don't fix a refrigerator. And I mean, that's more of a psychological issue than, than a hoarder issue. If there's usable space, um, even though it's trash and messy and full of stuff, or is that a fine right. line? There's a very fine line 
But if there's still livable, usable space, even, I mean, I've been in homes before that there was actually no running water in the house. And they were living in the house, though. There was a space for a bed. There were a couple of chairs. Uh, it was dirty, filthy, yes, but you didn't literally have piles of items just stacked along the walls, on top of the tables, on top of the chairs. Um, and like you said, to make sure that everyone understands, we're not talking about grandma's house that she's lived in for 70 years and now the back two bedrooms that no one you know, ever comes and visits. They're just more or less storage rooms. We're not talking about the basement that you go into or the attic that is just cluttered um, because kids, you know, have parent stuff and grandparent stuff. Yeah, that's definitely not hoarding. But hoarding gets to a point where it may start out with just one bedroom, but over time now it's it <laughs> impeded the entire entire house. Um, you know, I right. at one time I'd say maybe my garage you call me hoarder because I that kept everything but you know that's really not i'm just trying to uh i might need it right i might need it that's that's excuse of a hoarder i might need it uh but anyway we got that cleaned out um but but there again there's a psychological issue uh, comes in when they're not seeing it or, or do they see it i mean are, are, do they know this is a problem and they can't help it or are they justifying it and it, to them it's not a problem they are working through it when it is not an extreme case, and like you said, possibly early on during the phase, yes, they know that they have a problem. Some of them do. Okay, yes, I constantly order stuff off the Internet, or I'm always watching the TV shows and I'm ordering stuff off the TV shows, and then I just can't get rid of this stuff, you know? Well, here, I'll take some. Well, no, I don't mean that I can't get rid of it. I mean, I just can't let go of it. Okay, or they, or you have, you know, the other person who you ask them, you know, why, why do you have all these credit cards? You're running up your credit cards. Why are you constantly ordering stuff? Well, I needed that. I'm not just, you know, arbitrarily ordering stuff. I mean, I, I'm ordering things that I need and I can use. Okay, they're not admitting that they have a problem. Okay, well, you know, why don't we take some of this or sell some of these items? Or why don't you have a yard sale or let's goodwill it? Well, no, I'm, I, this is not a good time. I'm not ready to do that right now. Okay. They're not admitting. But, you know, this, on the other hand, cannot be confused with someone, let's say, that has had traumatic brain injury or someone that has some type of debilitating disease that is affecting, you know, their cognitive abilities. Or we're not talking about someone who is in early stages of Alzheimer's or vascular dementia. No, you know, they will have, quote, some hoarding tendencies, but that's a result of their disability or their disease, not a mental disorder. But hoarding, and so hoarding it's in and of itself is generally a mental disorder that is brought on many times by something else. Is that how I'm understanding it? Yes, possibly by a traumatic event or extreme stress. Um, and the thing is, is some of the people that, you know, actually realize that, okay, I do have a problem. It's not until they start looking back and they're going through, you know, some therapy that, oh, my gosh, you know what? Now I remember when I started acquiring this. But unfortunately, the majority of them, you, they never do go and talk to anybody. 
because they don't realize it gets so bad that they don't realize that they have a problem. Or maybe a family member's consider it's a possibility they don't want to upset the person or the person refuses to go talk to anybody. Um, what few instances, a lot of times that they've been diagnosed is the person is actually talking to someone, a doctor or, you know, a psychologist for something else. And, you know, here's the key. Just because a person comes in and says, you know, I just, I can't go out the door unless I turn it five times before I leave. I have to wash my hands. You know, I have to do this before I do this. I have to do these things in these steps. Okay, we're talking obsessive compulsive disorder. Well, less than 20% of people with OCD actually have some hoarding tendencies. But they tend to be kind of of the bizarre type that I mentioned earlier. So it's not unless the doctor starts asking them about some other issues that they can possibly key in on that. And one of the issues would be, okay, OCD, they typically do not buy things in excess. However, they might start collecting things, like we mentioned, um, newspapers, uh, utility bills, magazines, uh, freebies, stuff. You go, you see pamphlets or flyers, and then they can't get rid of it. So that's another form. So some of this is brought on by comfort or brought brought on for comfort? I think so. Actually, I really do because from, you know, what you read and what you hear other people talking about, yeah, it's it's almost, like you said, a comfort thing. Going back to when you were talking about someone living through the depression, okay? They know that we're not in a depression right now. They've lived through it. But just knowing that they have it just in case, you know, it gives them that comfort. Right. And I guess, you know, what if, and we've seen and heard those who buy stuffed animals or dolls or collect, collect books. And, and there's, I mean, the books, you can't even get around the house for the books. They don't even know what kind of books they've got, but somehow those books are giving them some sense of security or comfort because it's something that they're interested in and they have plans for them. Right. But the plans never get done. Right, and and that's more so, too, with the collectors. They have plans for them versus just it's giving some sort of comfort. Your hoarders typically don't really have plans. Um, Like I said, some things that they're purchasing, and they're usually not necessarily big-ticket items. It may be that they order, you know, six packs of underwear every other, you know, month or something. Um, it may be just something simple as, you know, nail files. You can't have enough nail files. Um, they don't really have a use other than they think, okay, I can use them or I need them um, versus, you know, this is a pretty doll. I'd like to collect these. Now I have 200 of them. Okay, but they're very organized. We have them in a certain place. We showcase them. A hoarder doesn't showcase things aren't organized they're just lying around and then eventually if it continues then we go to the piles and then we go you know to the impeded active living spaces but a collector it, it, let's say it is books um or clothes or whatever and they're collecting these things uh even if they have a plan and they think they have some type of a system once it got gets towards the impeding the flow of their house does that 
switch over to hoarder definition or if they still have a mental capacity of, you know, I'm categorizing this, I have a plan, you know, even though they never carried out. And I guess what I'm asking is where does where do and maybe we could never do that. It takes someone like you. But but if we walk into a house, we're going to call it a hoarder, obviously because it's all full. But where does a collector <laughs> and a hoarder? Where does that line break when when in fact they really really are doing kind of the same thing, except one thinks they have a plan and the other one don't even have a plan at all. Uh, yeah, a true collector is typically going to be somebody that knows specifically what they're they're going to be wanting a certain type of something. A hoarder, there there isn't a certain type. It may be nail files this week. It may be, you know, um, magazines that we just continually keep. And then it may be underwear the next week. You know, it may be hairbrushes. It may be pots and pans, you know. And it may start off, you know, this impulsive buying because they're also very impulsive. Okay, so and then they're giving stuff away to people and then eventually maybe something happens. We don't necessarily understand it, but obviously something goes on in the mind, something clicks and they no longer can let go. Collectors a lot of times will buy, sell, trade, you know, um, orders. They don't let go of it. They're not getting rid of it no matter what. So a collector may be out of control. He, they may have more stuff than they, right. they can actually buy, sell, and trade uh, because they've collected right. too much. But but still yet, they're, they're more – but psychologically, they're totally different as well, right? A collector is just – Right. He just, they're collecting and they're buying and selling and trading, and, and even though it's out of control, uh, they're, it's not caused from the same psychological reason. Right? No, and you ask a collector, exactly, and you ask a collector, you know, tell me about this. Tell me, they're they're going to be able to tell you about every – just about everything that they've purchased over the years, okay? They're going to have notes or mental notes. They're going to remember. You ask a hoarder, you know, you point to a pile down a hallway or a, a pile next to the toilet, you know, just really weird places. You know, what's this here for? Uh, well, I need it. Right. <laughs> you know, you may not get a clear-cut answer. Right, right. I, I don't touch that. Okay, well, can I move this so I can sit in the chair? Well, why don't you sit over here or, you know, that sort of thing. Right. And then from our perspective, walking into a house, law enforcement, EMS, uh, things like that, we are not going to know the difference. I mean, just off the, at least off the cuff, we may not because it's still going to be full. Um, but so, but back to our uh, environmental issues, um, the, what we face as, uh, as first responders, uh, law enforcement, things like that, is going into these houses, uh, not only do we have fall risk, uh, we have collapse, avalanche, uh, you know, uh, of, uh -huh. of items. Uh, but then also, if you've got the hoarders that's got the garbage and the dogs and things like that, that's, in, that's an environmental issue uh, that they need to consider what they're stepping in, breathing, moving, because that can be very dangerous as well, correct? Exactly, because you don't know how long things have been there, and you don't necessarily know what they are hoarding, okay? When I say bizarre, I mean, I just named a few things. Um, Sometimes people, and I mentioned excrement, I mean, I have heard of literally a bathroom turned into a shrine for excrement, okay? That's not sanitary. That's got to be a psychological uh, issue, though, right, doctor? I mean, yes. I mean, if they're, yes. if they're putting... Now, now, let's say, though, that uh, their toilet isn't working, okay, or they have no running water, and they're 
their bathtub is just full of used toilet paper, you know, uh, and that could just be, I guess, a terrible housekeeper. But again, there's there's an environment. If if their if their bathtub is full of used toilet paper, the rest of the house is going to probably look similar, even if they're not doing finger mm-hmm. painting. They still have got an environmental problem there because that's something that when we go into, you know, they're living in it, but they're not healthy either. Right. Right. Yeah, and the thing, too, is there's other psychological disorders. You know, um, people will do some odd and some strange things when they're extremely depressed. Uh, If they have social anxiety, you know, they will do whatever it takes to stay inside that house and not have to go out in public. And even if that means if things stop working and maybe not having someone come in to fix it, um, you know, or... Like you said, they have, won't allow anyone to come in maybe and help them clean or they won't leave and clean. Does that necessarily mean they're a hoarder because the house is starting to get in that type of situation where there's a lot of stuff piling up? No. You know, there could be a total different cause. Okay. So, yes, for someone just walking in, you know, unless it's a very extreme case where you see items piled up blocking walkways, blocking, you know, they the, the person living there or recently deceased obviously did not even have a place to sleep or, you know, maybe one place to sit or you had to move stuff, you know, could not function as a normal person can function in a house. Then, yeah, you've probably got a hoarder. Right. So from our perspective, if law enforcement responds to a call, let's say non, non-deceased, but they respond to a call and they see something that's like this or, or they get an, a 911 call and ambulance is there and things like that. So they then should, of course, depo- follow their protocols. But there are avenues that they can, senior services, family services, they can call and report these things to at least start the process of helping these people. And, and that's something that should be done, correct, from your perspective? Most definitely, and especially if the person has, you know, a primary care physician, I mean, that would be the best place to start. You know, let that primary care physician follow up with the person and, you know, be tipped off, okay, this is is their living conditions. And then they can start asking a few questions, and if they're not comfortable, you know, proceeding, obviously, they may want to just forward it on to a psychiatrist or a psychologist and say, look, you know, I want you to see this person ever so often. Just talk about some things. And, you know, I haven't read where there was a hoarder and then they just miraculous, miraculously were cured. Um, however, cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy seems to do some good for some people. Um, you know, it's also used with PTSD. But mental disorders... You know, it's like some diseases that we walk around with. Um, they're not always you're able to cure them, but you're able to treat them. You're able to keep it under control. And, you know, in that way, the person could live a normal life. But unless they know that they have a problem, why would they even go to ask for help? Right, because they've accepted it or they have a reason for it in their mind that there's a reason for why they do what they do. So let's take this right. Let's take this to the personal. Let's say there's a listener out there right now who has heard our conversation and says, you know, I think that's my mom or my wife or my brother or, you know, I now I understand that, you know, they're not just a collector. They are a hoarder and this is going to get worse. So what advice would we give that person to be able to 
deal with their loved ones from a family perspective? Well, obviously you don't want to go and just, you know, attack someone and just say, okay, I think you've got this problem here and we need to take care of it now. You know, they might just start off gently um, next time they're visiting. Hey, you know what? The holidays are coming up. What if we get together and we come over, we've been kind of doing some spring cleaning, you know, at our house or fall cleaning, whatever you want to call it. How about we come over and kind of help you get things ready, you know, for the holidays? Um, If the person's like, oh, my gosh, that's fantastic. Great. Thanks. I'd appreciate that. And you go over and you're bagging up some trash, what you call trash, and they're going out the door and that person is totally okay with it. You don't have a problem. You know, they just needed a little help house cleaning. But you get there, and then all of a sudden, okay, no, I can't let go of that. No, don't move that. Don't touch that. And unless they know that, you know, there's some other, something going on, whether it be dementia, uh, you know, or some other disorder that's affecting their brain, then you can't be 100% sure. But, yes, a trip to the doctor. That, that would definitely be in order and let the doctor talk to them one-on-one and ask questions, not directly, but indirectly, they can start, you know, identifying specifiers and going, oh, okay, this may be a problem or we might have something else on our hands. Right. Now, that's good advice. And so I think, you know, there's probably a lot of people out there that have resonated with this conversation that they know somebody, um, you know, that, and then maybe they just know that they're a collector of all kinds of things. But, and that could be and that could be a problem as well. But you know, sometimes there are people that do collect a lot of things. But in our industry, in our field, when we get into these houses, it's hard for us to maneuver. It's hard to for the ambulance to get somebody out. Uh, and you know, and that, that needs probably, especially if they're seniors, senior citizens, they can re- be reported to that state's, uh, that county's division of senior services who can check on them. Because if they're you know if they're by themselves and they don't have a family necessarily looking out for them then the senior services comes in and, and maybe can help them. Because, again, that's their safety. Right. That's a safety issue. And, I, of course, not I'm talking about animals. I'm just talking about even if they're a collector or a hoarder, when it gets to the point that they're kind of hard to move around in their house, that's a safety issue that probably needs to be reported to someone. You know, we've seen that on TV exactly. where counties come in and, and give a person 90, you know, that hoarding TV show, which I don't, I guess I've seen it once or twice. But it's kind of, boy, they they're going to tell somebody, look, we're going to ban your house and kick you out if you don't clean it up. But um, I'm not suggesting we do that to somebody, but certainly there's a safety issue, and we should be looking out for their safety if we as law enforcement, coroners, things like that, see that. Uh, the, the, the call I was on not too long ago, a lady died in a house. We had to take her out the window because there was no way we could get into her where she was at. So luckily there was a window there, and it was on the first floor, and there was, a, there was another person living in the house, and... And they shared this one bed, this one bedroom. And, um, of course, it was just as full. But as we're walking through and we're trying to get into the house, they're picking stuff up and moving out of the way like trash can, like a trash bag and like garbage, like household, household take to the curb garbage, purely. Mm-hmm. And, they, and and it was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just got behind the last couple of weeks. I just haven't been able to catch up. Um, you only no. got one room be, be, because the garbage is to over my head of stuff. And, I mean, they're like, man, I'm sorry for the mess. I just I just lost. I just haven't been able to clean up. And I think they realize it's a problem, but they were comfortable living in it for somehow. Yes. Well, and, and it's just like we were talking earlier, like with someone with OCD. They know they have a problem, but 
they may have to turn that doorknob seven or eight times before they can walk out the door. And they know it's silly. They know that they shouldn't have to do that. But can they stop doing it on their own? No. Same way with some hoarders, you know? Yes. Especially if they said, hey, look, I just haven't had a chance, you know, to take the garbage out. I'm so sorry for this, you know, please just disregard. They know they have a problem. They admitted, yes, they have a problem, but can they do anything about it on their own? No. Right. They right. need help. Right. So even though, and, and I am not even making this up, even though I would say garbage hasn't been taken out of that house in five years. I mean, I, I'm not even making that up. That, there was only one area wow. to give into. I mean, the garbage was extensive, over my head, extensive, a path. I'm talking about garbage, rats and dogs. and I mean, it, it's been years since they took the trash to the curb. And and they lived in that. I mean, they lived in that, and and that was you know that's an extreme extreme case. Uh, but but you know uh, they they again feces and and urine and everything all over the floor. The carpet was squishy, uh, and we we ended up I ended up when I did my part I ended up putting on a hazmat protective suit, a Tyvek suit to go in. I didn't want to breathe it. I didn't right. want to kick stuff up and breathe it and get it on me. And and I mean it was just it was that bad. But they they. I guess we're comfortable in it. They might have seen it was a problem, but they psychologically somehow got comfortable in it. And I, I assume is what I'm hearing. You say they know it's wrong, but this is how we live. We're used to it, and I just don't invite anybody over type thing. Well, and exactly, and very rarely do you have a severe disorder that you do not have some other type of disorder along with it. So, you know, there always has to be, everybody, you know, you always want to go, what, why? But why? I mean, you can, but why it to death and you can, you know, try to find that pinpoint that one particular thing. And, and that's, well, that's the unique thing about our brains, okay? We can't always just pinpoint one particular reason as to why we are behaving a certain way. But if, you know, like I said, they haven't been going out of the house, maybe, you know, social anxiety. Maybe they just have a fear of going outside and dealing with people. They're okay if you come into their area. Okay, well, did they ask to be a hoarder? No, but in compensating for maybe the anxiety, the social anxiety, what did they do? They just restricted themselves to the house, and then look what they've got themselves into. So, you know, you can look at it from this perspective, yes, it's a mental disorder in a sense of, okay, now I'm at this point. I know I have a problem, but I just can't stop. Right. Yeah. Right. They, tr- you know, they truly are crying out for help. Right. All right. Well, and I, I think you've really gave us a great overview of what uh, this hoarding behavior is, uh, you know, against what a collector is. But again, we're going to see it and we may not know it right off the bat. Uh, but it's, but again, now we've kind of a little bit uh, of a better understanding. And, and I'm glad I was able to get you on the show because it's something that's come up more uh, with my cases and others have been talking about this issue uh, in, with hoarding. And so I'm glad we was able to to weigh into this. Uh, love your website again, mindsleuth.net. And of course, uh, Mindsleuth, you are all about investigative psychology. So let's just give a minute and tell us what you do as a whole. I mean, you do a lot here with, with your mind sleuthing. I love the website. I mean, I keep saying it, but I love it. And it's well laid out. And, and so, but you also do handwriting analysis and um, some other things as well. Tell us about that real quick. 
Okay. Well, actually, mindsleuth.net is my blog site. Um, and so I like to kind of, you know, just pick various topics that having to do with investigative psychology. Um, my other website is my business, doshrographologicalanalysis.com. I know that's a mouthful. Uh, but you can also get there, too, from Mindsleuth from the blog. And um, I have recently just finished some research that I've been working on the past five and a half, six years, uh, the handwriting analysis, but it's not your typical handwriting analysis. Um, get this, Darren. I don't actually read really? the writing. You just no, look- I don't read the writing. So what are you looking for? Well, it's all quantitative. Uh, so I take a lot of measurements. And basically, I am getting a time-stamped view of a person's mental processes at that moment in time, uh, specifically deceptive versus truthful behavior, um, behavior that may be truthful but under a lot of cognitive load, also known as stress and anxiety, versus deceptive that may also be under a lot of cognitive load. Wow. So... It's groundbreaking. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. Um, a lot of research. No one has actually done it yet <laughs> besides me. Uh, so, yes, my, my website is starting to get quite a bit of activity, uh, more so from Europe, though, than the U.S. I'm kind of surprised. Right, right. Well, I mean, I, you, you know, you've, there's, sci- there's science behind it. Someone has to be looking at it, and I'm glad that, you know, you started looking into that. Uh, you also, of course, assist with psychological autopsies of decedents and of crimes and things like that. And, 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 you're, and but you do a lot of forensic psychological analysis. That, that's, that's your main purpose is something to do with how the mind works when it comes to crime, deception, things like that. That's, that's your uh, primary focus, is it not? Exactly. Yes. Um, I'm a former forensic scientist. So yes, I've been on quite a few crime scenes and investigated crime scenes, but I always would walk away with the same question. Why? What would make a person do this? How did this possibly come about? And yes, Darren, that's why I eventually got into the forensic psychology side, specifically investigative psychology. Uh, I'm just one of those people. I just, I want to know why. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. And that's and that's what uh that's what makes a good sleuth. And that's why you're a money sleuth. <laughs> <laughs> but but I do get I thank you again for being on the show. There's been a wealth of information and yes, we want to have you back certainly to talk about some other stuff. Uh I'll let you go for today, but again, thank you very, very much. You have you have really poured into us today. Thank you so much. Hoarders and collectors. So, hoarders and collectors. Well, you know that I really learned a lot about that because I would say half of the people I know are collectors were hoarders. But maybe they're not. Maybe they're just collectors. But I, now I do know a difference. I, I, I do believe, however, that when you or I walk into a house, it will be hard for us to, to know which one it is just by looking in some cases. So, uh, you can handle them both the same. You know, if you see something where where a person's life is in, impeding uh, their, their 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 environment is impeding their life, that's something that probably needs to be reported. Uh, one of the big things, though, is our safety. When you go into a house that, uh, whether whether it be environmental like feces and things like that, that can be a biohazard for you, 
or if it's a maybe there's a, an avalanche fall or a collapse or something that, that could hurt us. If you're walking through a house and something falls on you, of course, then you're in danger. So watch out for that stuff. When you go into these houses, yes, we put ourselves in danger. Yes, we do go into places sometimes that others dare not to tread. But, you know, these things are getting worse, I believe. I'm seeing more of it, and you probably are too. So just protect yourself. Just watch what is around you and uh, take all the precautions you can. If you have any questions specific about uh, hoarding versus collector or how that looks or whatever, uh, drop us a a line in the show notes, and and we'll see if we can weigh into that. Uh, And if you have any examples, we'd love to hear from you about that as well. So remember, you can find everything to do with this uh, show and conversation at cornertalk.com. Also, our online training, everything we have, free resources we have, the online store, everything can be find, found at cornertalk.com, including the link over to Death Investigation Academy. And the Death Investigation Academy, of course, is one of the largest online academies for death investigators. There's a death investigation master class there, corner school, medical legal death investigator class. Lots of states is using that for their for their primary corner training. A lot of continuing education on there, uh, and it is growing all the time. So you can get, uh, it's all, of course, nationally approved, ABMDI approved, standardized training. Uh, and we are quickly becoming one of a premier training site. And so I do appreciate all of you for, for weighing in on that and, and scoring us and grading us. So if you need any specific training, virtual training, anything like that, you know, don't hesitate to, to let me know. It is real easy to get a, a, a projector, a laptop, and a camcorder or a webcam. I can You can bring me into your facility for, for a couple hours to train on something or, or to discuss something for next to nothing just to have a conversation. Love to do that. Love to pour into you in that way. And uh, you save all that time and travel and money. And if we do it correctly, uh, we can get ABMDI credits for that as long as someone is there that can uh, be of authority to say, yes, these people were here the whole time. Now you're getting credit training credits and nobody has to leave the office so you know think about that i think it's something that uh, has worked well in the past and will work for you so until next week everybody remember be a blessing we're coming into fall uh, as you hear this it's the first uh week of november and of course november starts uh the the, the fall season the thanksgiving season uh, Christmas is right around the corner. It's a time to remember family, to remember friends, and it's a time to be a blessing. And above all, above all, I want every one of you back next week. So be safe. Thanks for listening to Coroner Talk, a DSPN media production. Visit our website at coronertalk.com. And be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash coronertraining. 3617-1024 scene on route to morgue.